0: much, much easier to run a very profitable, very small campaign and then reinvest into it than it is to pour a bunch of gas on at the beginning and burn a lot of money and then try and figure out how to make it profitable from there.
1: Welcome to Honest E-Commerce, where we are dedicated to cutting through the BS and finding actionable advice for online store owners.
2: I'm your host, Chase Clymer.
1: And I'm your host, Annette Grant.
2: And we believe running an online business does not have to be complicated or a guessing game.
1: If you are struggling to scale your sales, Electric Eye is here to help. To apply to work with us, visit electriceye.io connect to learn more.
2: And let's get on with the show. On today's episode of Honest Commerce, we welcome Roy Steves. Roy is the co-founder of StatBid, an agency that helps small to medium-sized businesses make money with Google and Bing. Welcome back to another episode of Honest E-Commerce. I am your host, Chase Clymer. And today is a sad episode. Annette is on vacation. So it is just me, but I'll make sure to try to have both perspectives for everyone out there. Uh, Net will be back next week, so don't worry. Uh, but today we welcome to the show Roy Steves. Roy is the co-founder of StatBid. It is an SEM agency focused on SMB e-commerce marketing on Google and Bing. So there's a lot of S words, you know, that we had there. S-E-M and S M B. You want to kind of just give us a background on what your agency does, yourself, and kind of the journey of the last five years that took you there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Statbid is is as you mentioned an agency, and so we focus almost exclusively on on running Google Ads for e-commerce sites, uh, and we focus on on the small to medium uh, size clients because that's where we come from. My my team and I all have uh, retail backgrounds, so rather than coming from from agencies uh, prior to Statbid, we were selling everything from golf equipment to snowboards to pool pumps uh, and so on and. That has given us a certain uh, perspective on a very particular niche within the industry. So, uh, it, we don't really work with really, really big brands. Like, if Nike came and knocked on our door, we wouldn't know what to do with them. But, you know, that puts us in a, a position to work with people that are typically running on Shopify and Magento and, and familiar platforms and, and solving uh, familiar problems. And, and we found it interesting to get into that niche because most of the content that out there. Is out there. All the videos and the blog articles are all writing these best practices, and they're not really applicable to smaller accounts. And so we we find a find a lot of satisfaction in getting in there and sort of busting some of those uh, those misconceptions and myths around uh, how how smaller sites should operate within these channels. So the back backstory on Snapid was uh, I was working at Leslie's School Supplies, uh, which is a national brick and mortar chain, and my team was running their website. They acquired the site that I was working for prior. We all moved out to Arizona from from Northern California and have and have been here since. Uh, I stuck around for about two years and found that the the rate of learning was just so much slower in that large corporate environment. And so I decided to take a risk and go do something completely bonkers and double down on my favorite part of my old job and started managing just a handful of uh, accounts myself. And Shiloh, my co-founder, was was there early on, sort of uh, encouraging me to to take a look at at starting a, a business from that angle, and uh, and so he at the time was, I, I believe he was working for a golf site and then later a lighting site, and after a couple of years, uh, we we grew to the point where we could both go full time on it and uh, and bring on some some staff, and so we started getting our relative bands back together. Uh, I brought on some of my former teammates. He brought on some of his. And so we managed to assemble a very high-powered team very, very quickly. And we focus on managing those accounts in such a way that uh, we are very closely held to the efficiency of spend. Um, And the result is that we are growing pretty uh, quickly based entirely just on referral business. um, Because we like talking shop and and helping people out. And the more we do that, the more things seem to break our way. So the uh, the types of sites that we're really really uh, excellent at helping are the ones that are the most like the ones we come from ourselves, and that sort of maybe two to two hundred million range, which obviously sounds very broad, but when you compare it to enterprise, is uh, is definitely a niche, and uh, and it's a niche that's continued to grow as 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 we've seen for the past few years with uh, with the success of uh, Shopify and and other similar platforms.
2: Awesome, yeah, that's. That's a great backstory there. And I love kind of the talk of focusing on what your favorite thing of your old job was. I was actually just thumbing through This Won't Scale by uh, the team at Drift. Uh, they're a marketing app, but uh, they have this lead magnet essentially. They sent a book to me. And so I read it. Uh, but within there, uh, they were talking about how when you're going from job to job, usually what someone does as their job isn't what they're actually really good at. And it's just funny that when you leave and focus, like you get so much better.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was I was talking at at conferences and stuff while I was still there, uh, and and so there were a lot of people that knew me from events like Etail and and Bronto Summit and the like, and many of them were asking me whether or not I was going to start an attribution business because that's what I spent the most time talking about. And when it came down to it, there were two options: I could either go into paid search uh, optimization, or I could go into attribution, and both, you know, I felt had huge opportunities. But when it came down to it it's easier to sell making money than saving money and attribution at some level is a cost control kind of endeavor and paid search is a direct response you know you can see immediately whether things are working and so that uh, that immediacy of uh, feedback made it the more attractive uh, path but the fun part about this is that we because we bootstrapped the business we get to decide what projects we're working on and how much time to spend on each kind of thing and so we get to still go back and talk about attribution, about email marketing programs, about marketplaces and about all these other things conversion rate optimization and the like that we still are very passionate about even if it's not technically our wheelhouse anymore.
2: Absolutely. so let's kind of get into it. let's talk about what you are you know what you guys are doing today, which is paid ads you know through Google and Bing specifically. so that is a fun topic. Let's go with this first question here that I have for you is me as a small business owner, I'm not that tech savvy. I, you know, I have a hunch that Google's going to work for me, and I am, you know, looking into hiring my first agency or my first partner or even my first freelancer or bring someone in house to work on it. How do I know what they're doing is good? Like, what are some of those indicators I need to know to maybe just even hold them accountable?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because you don't know what you don't know for sure. The challenge will be at at the beginning is is interviewing whether it's with with potential resources you can bring onto your team or whether it's with an agency. And so if, if you don't know what you're looking for at that stage, it's going to be hard to pick a good partner. But conveniently, the same kinds of things that you should be looking for when you're measuring the success of somebody who you're already working with tend to be the same kinds of things that should come up during those early conversations. And it comes down to establishing good expectations, just like with any other role you might hire for. But with with paid search, for Google and Bing especially, There are so many ways to control the behavior of the account if you're an expert, then whatever expert you're working with should be able to produce a relatively consistent rate of return. There'll be some noise and volatility in any account of any size. But when it comes down to it, money in and money out should always add up to something that you're excited about coming from the channel. And then there's only really a couple of more layers deep that you as as the sort of manager, the arbiter at the next layer up need to worry about. And that has more to do with the fact that not all campaigns within the account are uh, created equal. The, the best example of this is a, a campaign that you might have running against your own domain or your own trademark or your own brand. That will convert very, very well because it behaves kind of like direct traffic. You know, if you're lumping direct traffic in with your organic traffic, you might see that biasing the overall performance of that, you know, earned uh, traffic. Well, the same kind of pattern happens within paid, even though it's it's less commonly focused on. Because that trademark traffic converts so very well, it can subsidize a lot of bad behavior coming from the rest of the account. So if a third of your account is brand, and that's producing revenue at, at a return on ad spend that's very, very strong, and then you have a the rest of your account is breaking even or maybe even losing a little bit of money when you add it all back together it still looks like it's breaking even or doing uh, a little bit better than that that might be okay if you're if you're running you know some traditional marketing types like you know radio and television and things like that where you expect a large halo effect paid search does not work like that you should not expect halo effects you should pay for all of your ads directly from revenue that's coming off of the transactions that are being generated and so First, you know, make sure that the whole account has the right ratio of money in and money out. And then you should be asking about the difference between your trademark and your non-trademark uh, campaigns because you need both of those to be profitable, uh, independent of one
2: another. Hey, if you're in the product-making business, then we've got great news for you. Katana is here to make your life easier. There's now a Shopify app built and designed for merchants that make their own products, manage your sales, orders, raw materials, production schedule, inventory, and material purchasing all from one dashboard. The name of that app is Katana K A T A N A.
1: Katana is designed for makers, crafters, and small manufacturers selling on Shopify. Until now, product makers selling on e commerce have had to settle with messy spreadsheets or regular inventory management software. We know they both usually suck if you need to make your own products. Fortunately, Katana is built from ground up with the needs of a small manufacturer in mind. Production scheduling and inventory management has never been this easy for Shopify merchants. A recent survey shows that 93% of Katana's users say they love it because of the ease of the setup and how intuitive it is.
2: To try Katana for free, sign up at www.katanamrp.com. That's K-A-T-A-N-A-M-R-P.com. search Katana on the Shopify App Store. There's a 14-day free trial. You do not need a credit card. And when you're signing up, use the promo code HONEST to get 30% off your first 3 months of a paid subscription.
1: Check out Katana today.
2: So if we're saying that we need to have a profitable engagement and we need a return on ad spend, that's obviously positive. Is there you know a baseline that you think people should start when they're first getting into it? You know, I've had... With these performance-driven engagements is kind of what you know you see in paid marketing and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've I've had it all over the board where someone's happy is like as long as I'm getting over a one for one return I'm okay. And then some people are coming in like I have to see twelve x or we can't work together. Uh, So where do you like see expectations there? Like just the reality of how expensive Facebook not Facebook how expensive Google is these days. Uh, What do you think like just return on ad spins like for a general. Business, you know, average business, what a realistic expectation should be.
0: Sure, I, I think that the the question is a very common one, but I think it's also running a little bit on on the incorrect kind of assumptions that we should be using for this kind of channel. So, if somebody comes to you and says, "Hey, uh, I want to run more big ads because the ROI on them is higher," that sentence doesn't actually make any sense uh, because You have so much control over how much is invested into the channel, and you can obviously measure the revenue coming back out. You get to make that call. You get to pick your own return on ad spend target. And so when it comes down to it, the variable is not what is the return on ad spend I should expect from a channel like this. But instead, it's how much volume can I get at a return on ad spend that I find attractive and profitable. And, and so part of the way that we do that is, instead of talking about things in terms of return on ad spend or return on investment, um, which is by far the more common approach, we actually use the, the reciprocal of that. So instead of saying how much money divided by how much I spent to get a multiplier or a percent, um, we, we look at it the other way around. We divide the cost by the revenue. And that may sound kind of arbitrary, but what it does is it produces a percent of revenue number. And that is very easy to compare to things like your gross margin or your cost of goods. Uh, and so when you put all of the pieces together of your puzzle, you have all of these costs associated with with you're doing business at some overhead rate, for example. When you have a percent that you can fit back in, it's much, much easier to conceptualize how much of that revenue and how much of your profit is going to those ads. So what we've seen typically, from retailers at least, is something around 30% of their gross margin ends up being, you know, roughly in the ballpark of what ends up working. But when it comes down to it, each business is different. And so how how rich or how lean you run your account should really be a reflection of how much margin you have to work with and at what point you hit diminishing returns. And so my advice to somebody who's just starting out uh, and hasn't run a lot of campaigns before, maybe ran a few small ones uh, and, and isn't sure where to start is to err on the side of, of the smaller end of the spectrum. It's much, much easier to run a very profitable, very small campaign and then reinvest into it than it is to pour a bunch of gas on at the beginning and burn a lot of money and then try and figure out how to make it profitable from there. And that tends to be a fairly common approach, but it's, it's not one that ever set well uh, with me. And so our, our approach is very much on the uh, start small and, and grow from there. And then you can always test that diminishing returns curve as you go. You know, maybe you at spending 10% of your revenue on ads, and then after a while and things are going well, you go up to 12% and see how much more you can get for it and see whether or not the incremental spend is worth the incremental revenue. And eventually, if you, if you follow that kind of iterative process, you'll end up optimizing towards some sort of um, ideal balance that, that fits with your margins, your conversion rate, and your business overall.
2: That was a fantastic answer. Let's, you know, so let's say let's pretend, let's move my fake made up small business forward here. We've been doing some ads here for a while and you know, we're six, eight months in and we're loving it. And it's like, all right, hey, we're actually making money here. This is cool. This is a great channel. Should I just let it ride? Or, you know, should it's not broke. I don't need to fix it, or what what should I be doing there?
0: At that point, you do need to drill in a little bit. So this, this happens a lot when somebody brings on a new agency, uh, us included, or a freelancer or a new hire. Right out of the gates, there's going to be a bunch of changes. And hopefully they're they're all good. And the reason that that tends to be the case, almost regardless of, of what agency you're working with, is because everybody has some sort of level of expertise and they're used to looking at particular variables in the account and watching for particular common mistakes. And so in the first you know few weeks or a few months, maybe. They'll clean all of those specific things up, and you'll hit a sort of plateau, and that's that's normal and and to be expected. Like the agency can't pull the same rabbit out of the hat more than once, right? So you expect that uh, continuing optimization is going to roll off toward channel maturity, and then you're then you're really just paying to uh, to stay ahead of the changes within the shopping ecosystem, the types of behaviors coming off the shoppers, and things that Google change, and and those those are enough to keep keep an account manager busy for sure, but if you're if you're looking for that same kind of meteoric rise, that same hockey stick curve that you might have gotten when when you first started the account up, you you're not going to get it. You should expect to see some sort of maturity. However, there are sort of false ceilings when you when you first get going. Uh, for example, you know if we set up um, a couple of different types of campaigns and we're running them great, and then things start to to flatten out, the question then becomes. Are these campaigns running as efficiently as they could? Or are they just running much, much better than they used to? And those are very different results. The other thing is, are we running enough kinds of campaigns? And there's different strategies that you can use to, to attack parts of your audience from slightly different angles. And you can sometimes continue to get a little bit more incremental market share off of just outmaneuvering bigger players. So because AdWords is... A, or Google Ads, rather, nowadays, is still an auction-based system. Your bids for those impressions are going up against all your competitors. The behavior can change very, very rapidly through no change of your own. So you could have been running this campaign for six months profitably and, and happily. And then if a competitor comes in and starts raising raising their bids against the same types of searches that, that you've been doing well with, you're going to need to be able to respond to that. And if you're just sitting it and forgetting it, they'll not only eat your lunch, but potentially cost you a lot of money. And so monitoring its performance to avoid negative changes is part of the way you avoid some of the catastrophes that that might lead to. But also be aware that it, there might still be another level above where you are right now that shaking up the account might break loose. Even without you know, changing, changing partners or, or adding different people, just taking a fresh look at the account as if it were brand new to your eyes and, and seeing if there are, are opportunities and working with you know, whoever your expert is to, to do so. Is, it, it's a healthy way of, of revisiting the problem, sort of getting, getting your head a little bit out of the weeds uh, long enough to, to take a picture of the account at a high level and say, if this weren't my account, if this were you know, a colleague's, at a, a friend at another company's account, you know, what does this look like? Um, and what would I recommend they do to improve it? You don't need a very technical uh, background to do that. And if you are working with an expert anyway, then then you can really rely on them for the nuts and bolts of it and still just look at it from a high, high strategic level. This thing is a tool and it allows you to put yourself in front of people that are searching for specific solutions to problems. If you can identify other groups of people that are searching for solutions to problems that you you and your product solve, then fantastic. So you just keep looking for ways to sort of broaden that net that you're casting and and keep, a, keep an eye, as always, on the efficiency of spend. And, and you can grow into those other niches of user behavior in exactly the same way you grew from no campaigns to those initial successful campaigns. You're watching out for the same kinds of uh, efficiency issues. Uh, you're still watching the way that your competitors are behaving in the resulting auction data. And uh, and so it's it's very much kind of like a fractal. The things that you did well at the beginning, you then do again at a smaller scale, and you continue to build it up uh, as the tree develops more branches.
2: Awesome, that's fantastic advice. So uh, let's kind of pivot a little bit here. Let's talk about budgets. Like, mm-hmm. you know, what should I be setting aside? What should I be allocating for my business to get into a paid acquisition channel?
0: Sure. Yeah. The uh, the way that this question comes up for us, you know, when we're talking to our clients, is usually in a positive light. So uh, a client will say, "Hey, Roy, if we gave you an extra fifty thousand dollars this month, you know, is there, what would you do with it?" And uh, and the the funny thing is that my answer is usually, "I have no idea," which is not what you expect from an agency. Usually, they say, "Yes, of course. Why you dollar sign? Yes." Uh, and uh, but when it when it comes down to it, because you're always watching for that efficiency of return. You know, you're know, you watching You're watching that return on ad spend. You're watching the dollars in and dollars out. At some point, you're going to hit some kind of market saturation for the budget that you're running with. And so it's less about how many dollars you need to set aside and more about going back to that, that percentage. Um, my preferred method of, of running an account, and this is how the vast majority of our clients run it. And this is how all, all of the accounts I've run personally have been. It, the budget is technically uncapped. Uh, as long as we're producing revenue at the rate of return that we need to to support profitability, at no point does the client, whether it's internal or external, say, Roy, I don't want that next order. Now, there are situations where you know, inventory or production capacity uh, ends up coming over the top and being a hard limit on that. But that's, that's the minority case. Most of the time, you know, you're you always happy to have that, that next order and as long as it's continuing to generate orders at uh, at that rate of return that you're aiming for it ends up being better to leave things fairly uncapped there's actually a subtle behavior within google ads and and this is a little bit in the weeds but it has impacts on on how you view it from the high level there are budgets daily budgets you can set on the individual campaigns and and whoever you have managing the account will definitely be using those as a risk mitigation factor as you might expect you know if it's spending 10 dollars a day it can only spend so much in a month However, Google also uses that to get an idea of how big you think that campaign is going to be. And so if you set those budgets too low, you'll actually have less reach into the eligible searchers out there uh, than you would having changed no other variables than just raising those daily budgets. Now, raising those daily budgets exposes you to potentially more risk. So do so according to how confident you are that whatever system you have in place is managing the, the total spend correctly. But when it comes down to it, you've got this, this opportunity to sort of tell Google, no, really, I'm, I'm here to play with the big boys, even when you're growing into your account's potential. Because if you're controlling the bids correctly, you're still going to keep your total spend where it needs to be relative to, to revenue. But then you have this opportunity to try and cast the widest net possible without necessarily spending more money to do so.
1: Support for our podcast comes from our friends at Simpler, a new way to staff 24 7 sales and customer service on your e commerce store. It works with your existing email and chat platforms, so, setup is quick and easy.
2: Simpler's network of on demand, US based Simpler specialists are standing by to answer your customers' most common questions. Set it up for free today and then turn it on or off depending on your customer volume. You only pay $2.25 for every resolution, no hidden fees, contracts, or minimums.
1: Close more sales with Simpler by staffing your email and live chat around the clock with Simpler specialists.
2: Start your free seven day trial at simpler.ai slash honest. That's S I M P L R.ai slash honest. So we've got Google's bringing to, to the table some automation options within their own platform. Mm-hmm. And then outside of that platform, Artificial intelligence is huge. There's so many apps that claim to do uh, with machine learning. They're going to run your Google ads for you. Sure, the table's yours. Give me your expert opinion on what's going on with all these automation AI machine learning options that are coming to the marketplace for paid ads.
0: Sure. Yeah, Google has more and more automation built into the platform all the time, and they are definitely pushing people to adopt it. Um, be it return on ad spend, bidding strategies, or target CPA, or smart shopping, the, the, the vocabulary changes almost monthly in terms of the number of types of automation that they offer. When it comes down to it, the thing that we look at there is that Google has the advantage of an absolutely monumental amount of user data behind the scenes. You know, you, We don't have direct access to it, but they can build these fantastically complicated models because they have these huge pools of data and and user behavior that they can build these models from. However, there is a fundamental conflict of interest there because Google gets paid for clicks for now, and you get paid for conversions. And so whenever there's a disconnect between those two types of actions, there becomes... The issue is that there's a type of arbitrage that Google can play there. If If they can get you to buy those clicks and as many of them as possible at the highest rate possible, then they are successful. And you are successful on a completely different set of metrics. And so when you look at those automation systems, you have to remember, what was this built to do? Is it built to keep my best interests in mind? If not, how do I police it? How do I regulate it um, within my account to make sure that I'm getting the best uh, out of it that I can? And there are reasons to want to do that. Their automation, for example, in our our testing, has shown that it is more effective at extracting value from mobile shoppers. They have a certain percentage of people that are identifiable on multiple devices and so they they do some multi-device tracking and the like. They're building that multi-device tracking more and more into the fundamental stats, which means that you can't necessarily peel it apart as much as you used to. But they are using that to do some interesting things. However they also have a ton of mobile device real estate. You know, There's way more searches on phones now than on computers. And the conversion rates on mobile, even if you include multi-device se- shoppers, is still so much lower that most sites are at most doing half of their revenue on mobile. And and many, many, many are doing the vast majority of it still on, on uh, larger format devices. So Google has all of this revenue that you are trying to get your hands on, uh, this this potential revenue. And they have all of these clicks, not all of which are equal, but Google wants to sell them all. And so when they lump them together, you can think of it like they're making sausage and they're throwing cheaper and cheaper stuff into the top of the hopper and trying to sell the sausage at the same price that they were when it was all just you know filet mignon or what, whatnot. And, uh, and so it's important to continue to monitor some of the fundamentals under the hood. Even if you don't have that much influence, you just want to make sure that, that you are not you know, subsidizing Google's stock price. And the, the, the way to do that is to watch for, for whether or not you are getting the full value out of the traffic that you are buying. And that can usually be done with some sort of segmentation. Now that's where third-party automation becomes part of the conversation, for sure. And there are very smart people working on uh, bidding platforms outside of Google. I've had the pleasure of, of talking shop with, with many of them over the years. They run into similar issues that Google does. Uh, on the upside, you know, they act as, as an intermediary, so they don't have the same kind of conflict of interest necessarily that Google has directly. So they're acting as, as armor between you and, and Google's uh, sticky fingers. However, they still run into limited data. If you're in a small account, uh, even if even if that vendor has a lot of clients, it's nowhere near as much data as Google's, and so their models can only be so sophisticated because you only have so much data. Uh, whether whether you're using you know sophisticated AI or the you know, layers of machine learning or even just you know some statistics, everything comes down to sample size. The model is only as good as the accuracy of the assumptions going into it, and that's coming from how many clicks and conversions do you get in a given period. And there's not. Going to be a magic way to get around that unless you have Google size amounts of data, and none of us do and so the the other types of automation that are out there have an ability to take advantage of different types of use cases um, and they're better at some than others, but for the most part, the bigger the account, the more effective those types of solutions are. The smaller the account, the better off you are using basic algebra and uh, and so that's sort of been our 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 attack is we're very Engineering heavy. I mean, I, I myself was a web engineer well before I was a marketer, and uh, and you see that through the DNA of our team. And but at the same time, when it comes down to it, if you're bidding on campaigns and accounts where you know you're spending, say, less than ten thousand dollars a month or something like that, which uh, which is much much smaller than some of these solutions are, are are designed for, you're almost better just treating it as if it were all just the rigorous application of eighth grade math, and that's. Fundamentally, what all of this is, it's all just algebra under the hood. And then if you have enough data, then you can start layering some statistics on top of that. And, and we do. But I think that there's a lot more hype and bluster around AI as a solution for this than I think is, is quite warranted. There are very, very clever solutions, but, but I would definitely be skeptical of, of someone who throws the buzz, buzzwords around, but can't explain the philosophy that went into building that uh, supposedly intelligent system, um, because you know, just like raising a raising a child or, or nurturing a new employee, part of how good that system is going to be is how it was designed and taught and developed and trained and uh, vetted. And if you can't get good answers about that part, then I would I'd be skeptical of the performance coming out the other side. On the flip side, if you can plug in a solution and it and it does better. You know, basically, right out of the gates, than anything the campaign's done in the past, then th- then there is probably some very clever math in there, and they've probably built a model that happens to be good for your use case. But when it comes down to that, that's why we focus on you know, specifically e-commerce uh, advertisers, because ob- obviously, um, you know, hotels and dentists and lawyers use Google Ads as well. But that anything that try is built for one size fits all kind of approach is going to miss the opportunity to be good at one thing and uh, and so definitely keep an eye on the types of clients that uh, that are being served uh, successfully by uh, any any solution whether it's a freelancer agency or a new hire and and see you know do you really think that your use cases is, is similar to theirs in meaningful ways and if so uh, fantastic and if not you know that's that's something to be wary of because these artificial intelligence and machine learning solutions uh, our build is sort of a, a one size fits all cure all, and they're just not. They're very clever tech, and they are very powerful tools, but but they are not the solution for every account's uh, behavior. In, in in our experience,
2: yeah, I mean you couldn't have said it better. I they, they people were slapping AI and machine learning on an app they've been working on for years just to try to get some more seed money at this point.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly, and and uh, <laughs> might as well just. Uh, Slap blockchain on the end of the the title oh. and
2: really try and go for the uh, the keyword Yahtzee. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> so uh, you are a wealth of knowledge, and I cannot thank you for joining us today. And you're being even more generous with what you're offering our listeners. Do you want to give them a little bit of insight on to how to follow up with you and kind of get that awesome deal?
0: Oh yeah, yeah, sure. So when we're talking to Prospective clients, uh, obviously, any agency out there uh, in our space does some sort of account audit, which is, I think, a marketing fail. Nobody likes getting audited. What What are we thinking? Um, so we do we do account reviews, uh, but unlike the sort of auto-generated PDF, uh, five pages of of charts telling you how much you need, whoever gave it to you, ours have always been more like a deep uh, a deep cleaning uh, and range from 15 to 30 pages uh, of details. And uh, they are done entirely by either myself or my senior analyst. And they have a lot more personality because we write each one of them individually. Those are huge undertakings. And since we don't charge for them, we definitely have a finite pipeline. But what I'd like to offer is a streamlined version. We're calling them sprint reviews. And, uh, And so the idea is that instead of going into all of the detail of the logic and the reason and the process that we would recommend in place of, of certain issues, we'll just go straight for here's what we found and here's how to fix it. And that that's much faster for us. And we can always, you know, answer questions in in follow-up. But basically the idea is that we'll do probably about six to ten pages of analysis. Completely devoid of any attempt to sell anything. Like I said, we're we're growing on 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 purely uh, walk in business right now enough. So we are we're motivated just to help talk shop because the more accounts we see, the more uh, insights that we can gain, and the more uh, examples that we can refer to in our in our own heads while we're looking at accounts. So the more accounts we see, the better we get at our jobs. And we've already looked at a lot of accounts. Um, so take a look at our, our testimonials. But if you want to if you want to hit us up and, and take us up on that Sprint uh, review offer. You can go to statbid.com slash Sprint-review and contact us there. Depending on how many people take us up on it, there might be a little bit of uh, time for me to catch up. But I will uh, personally ensure that, that we get something valuable back to, to everybody who, who takes us up on the offer. And uh, you do need to have an account already running or there's not much for me to, to, to take a look at. But even if you don't, you just want to ask uh, some questions of uh, an independent uh, expert. We're we're happy to talk shop. It's a big part of why we started the business in the first place.
2: Gotcha. And then just to clarify to people, you know what's going on with that amazing offer? Just to it, real quickly, mm-hmm. that is a free offer. There's no sales involved there. They yep they want to talk shop. They are passionate about uh, pay per click, and they want to help you.
0: Yep. Yeah, it's exactly right. Yeah, that we're we're. We're obviously open to, to exploring uh, whether we're the right solution for for some folks, but uh, when it comes down to it, we're not rolling in and assuming that we're the right solution for anybody. Uh, nor are we assuming that everybody needs uh, a third party. You know, you might be you might be looking to get the review because you're considering taking it on yourself, and if I can give you ten pages that give you you know the eighty twenty principles worth of. Uh, of what you'd get out of hiring somebody, then I call that a win. I, I feel like I've made the world a little bit better place by, by helping out people who are
2: on the cusp of that kind of uh, that kind of autonomy and profitability. Awesome. Seriously, thank you so much, Roy, for sharing all of that awesome information with that super generous offer. Uh, I'm sure that some a lot of our listeners are going to hit you up about that. Yeah, I look forward to it. Should be fun for me too. We can't thank our guests enough for coming on the show and sharing the truth. Links and more will be available in the show notes. If you found any actionable advice in this podcast that you'd like to apply to your business, please reach out at electriceye.io connect.
1: Please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice.